Welcome to The Compass, a podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we share from God's Word. Now, we would love to meet face-to-face and have you worship with us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 1410 North Porter Road of Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you have any questions about the Word or about our ministry here in Fayetteville, let me encourage you to reach out. You can contact us through email at info at calvaryfayetteville.com or call us at 479-442-4634. On today's podcast, we'll be sharing my message from this past Sunday, April the 25th, 2021. It's entitled, Return to Your First Love, and is taken from Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Let's listen together. We're going to take a few minutes this morning to look at the first of seven letters to the churches that we find in the book of Revelation. If you look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus is saying to, to John, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamon, to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. And in chapters 2 and 3, we have this, these letters, um, a little note, a little point of reference to each of the churches that this bigger revelation of Jesus Christ Uh, is going to be sent to them. Now next week, Pastor Kirk will begin our series in the letter to the Ephesians. And today we're going to look at another letter to the Ephesians, but written after Paul's. It's a message given directly from Jesus himself and comes in this book of Revelation. Now Paul initially visited Ephesus in Acts 18, verse 19, and around AD 52. He leaves and comes back in Acts 19 and has a very profitable ministry. In fact, so profitable that it starts affecting the silversmiths who were making idols of Artemis. This was a big deal. Things were happening there. God was working in big ways, and it was disrupting the society. And Ephesus was a big city. This wasn't a small little town. This was a center of commerce. This was a place of of worship. This was a a place where things intersected. And God's word was making a big difference. Now, around AD 64, while Paul was in Rome, he wrote the letter to the Ephesians, which Pastor Kirk is going to be diving into next week. But then in AD 96, the Apostle John writes the book of Revelation, which includes this message slash letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, why are these dates important? Why do I even mention this as we start this morning? Because they give us a reference point to where the church was in its history as it received its message from God. Now, think about our own church here. If you go out that door, there is a, um, it looks like it was a print-up that was framed with some pictures of Calvary Baptist Church as it began in 1931 and a couple other pictures. I don't think anyone here was here at that time in 1931. I think we're pretty safe to say that. But many of you have been here for many years. You've seen a lot of different things happen at Calvary. If God wrote a letter, if he sent a message to the Calvary Baptist Church in 1931, it would have been different than, say, in 1995 when Gene Fulcher was pastor here. Or if God had a specific message for us now, in 2021, it would be a different message. Think about how those things change. So the life of this church, things had changed. 
God had worked in big ways at the very beginning, just like he worked in big ways at Calvary Baptist Church in the very beginning and launched a lifetime of ministry. It's hard to believe if that was in 1931 that we are now at 90 years of ministry here in Fayetteville. (coughs) But as we deal with things in 2021, the ramifications of COVID-19 and this pandemic, the letter, the message from God would would be different. The believers in Ephesus would have been second or maybe even third generation from Paul's initial visit in the book of Acts. And all of those things together help us see that, well, it's going to be different. The message that we're going to look at today as Pastor Kirk dives into Ephesians next week, it's going to be slightly different. And even those things that they found in Acts 19 that Paul was saying to the people in, a, in, the, in Ephesus, that's different than what we're reading today. You know, it's with these things in mind that we want to look at this first letter to the churches as found in the book of Revelation. Now, I want you to know, and you can log this away in your memory, I don't often get an opportunity just to preach from somewhere in the Word. Pastor Kirk said, oh, you can preach whatever you want. And I'll tell you, as, as someone who gets to share a platform, that's almost harder than saying, hey, we're a part of a series here, you preach on this subject or that subject trying to figure out what's next. So, again, log it back in your mind. We're going to look at these seven churches over the next seven opportunities that I have where I'm not in a series. So it may be seven years (laughs) before we finish this little series. But it's really important to me right now. You've given me the opportunity, meaning you've given me time to be able to invest in my education. So I go up to, to Kansas City and Uh, once uh, every class. I'm in my third class, about to wrap it up, starting my fourth class. Actually, today is the first official day of that class, and I'm working my way through this next piece of my education, but it focuses a great deal around the church, how God works in the church, how God can bring life to churches that are declining. Um, It is a concentration in church revitalization. This passage of Scripture, these chapters here, in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation give us a great deal of information about who we want to be as a church and what we need to do. And we're going to find a lot of ourselves as Calvary Baptist Church in these letters to the churches. And I think it's real important for us to look into these things. Now, he has a pattern here that he follows. As you look through chapters 2 and chapter 3, you find this pattern of message that Jesus shares in these short messages. He starts with a commendation, those things that he's done well, that they, that church has done, they've done this good, so they get a gold star. It's something very good for them. Now they move on to a condemnation, something that they need to fix, something that is wrong there, and we have to be open to that to understand, okay, what are we not doing that God wants us to do? And so in those moments, we find that message for ourselves. Maybe we have taken a detour from God's ultimate plan for what he wants here at Calvary Baptist Church. Now, past that, he moves to a correction, a way to fix that problem. And that's what I love, is that God doesn't just leave us out here not knowing what to do next, but he shows us what we need to do to help fix that. And then he mentions potential consequences. So those are the things that we're going to look at today as it deals with this church at Ephesus. As he does this, we see not only the issues that the early churches were dealing with, but issues that we deal with in the modern church as well. You know, we're not a perfect church. 
if we were, boy, we're just not. <laughs> None of us are. None of our churches are perfect. They say if you, you find a perfect church, don't join it because then you will mess it up. I mean, you've heard that before. I know I have. We've got a great church. We have people who love one another, care for one another. But there are things that God wants us to do. We have a future that's incredibly bright, but it means that we have to submit ourselves to his word and his will. Are we going to do that? You know, in this letter, Jesus addresses the lack of love that the Ephesians had at first. After almost 50 years, now remember, that's where we find ourselves. Paul came in, spoke to the, to the Ephesians, spoke to the, the church, the beginnings of the church at Ephesus, and here we have in Revelation uh, chapters 2 and 3, writings of about, at about AD 96, so almost 50 years have passed. They had stopped loving in the same way they did at first. You know, while that may seem like a natural thing to do, you know, you hear of couples who are married 10 years, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, love seems to fade. Well, that may be the natural way things happen, but that is not the supernatural course. God wants us to embrace that love, to keep loving one another and our community, and most of all, Him. We aren't to abandon the love that we had at first. We are to embrace it and the God who provides it in our lives. So let's take a, a few minutes this morning. We're going to look at this letter to the Ephesians that we find here in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, we want to see what we can apply to our situation here at Calvary and the church as a whole. First of all, let's look at the commendation. What is that good word? What are those good things that they were doing? Jesus begins by sharing a good word with the church at Ephesus. He shares a number of things that we can and should emulate as we move forward as a church. That's what I like finding are the, the good things for us to emulate. It's hard when we when the word starts step, stepping on our toes, but it's fantastic when we can see things. All right, let's just follow this. What's the first thing that he commends? He says, I know your works. He knows their works. This is, again, if you have a red edition on your Bible, you're going to see all, both of these chapters primarily in red, meaning that these are Jesus' words that he's speaking here in a revelation to John. Their efforts to love on the people of the church in the city have not gone, gone unnoticed. And isn't that what we all want? Isn't that what we all want to hear? We want to hear Jesus saying, what you did was noticed. What you did mattered. And I know that's what I want to hear about myself and about our church. I'll be honest. I don't want to just go to a church because that's what I'm supposed to do. I don't want to just show up here on a, a Sunday morning, go through the motions, and then rinse and repeat and do it again next week and the next and the next. That's not enough for me. I want my life to matter. I want my ministry to matter. I want us to matter and to do things that matter, that are purposeful for the kingdom of God. And in this case, Jesus sees those works. He sees what this church had done. He recognizes that. And in a sense, he was saying, good job. And I love that. He also notes their toil and patient endurance. Staying the course is never easy. I think that this last year has really proved that for most of us. It, staying the course is hard. We have been limited on where we could do what we could do. We've been limited on where we could go. 
And it, it seems like it'd be easy. Let's just follow in the pattern of, of going to church and doing those spiritual things that we've always done. But all of this extra stress that many of us have felt, it is hard to keep going. The church at Ephesus was located in a city that was full of idolatry. Now, I don't know about you, but in our house, especially during those beginning months of the pandemic when we really weren't supposed to go anywhere, do anything, there was a new idol that formed in my house. It was the god of Netflix or Hulu or Prime or any of those streaming services where you just sit and you watch for hours on end thinking, I want out of this house. Let me just go to a movie or the mall or the park, you know, and you felt limited by what you could do and where you needed to be. So staying the course was hard, even at that point. But think about this church at Ephesus. The temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This was a city full of religions and of different thought. However, through it all, the church at Ephesus, they endured. They kept going. They made it through these difficult times. Jesus goes on and he says that he notices your defense of the truth by outing the false. By saying that you have stood up for what is right and what is true. In addition to simply enduring, the church made an effort to cast out those that would veer from the truth. Now that sounds simple to do, but let's put ourselves in their place. What if one of those leaders started teaching falsehood? What if one of our leaders started teaching falsehood? We love them. We care about them. They've been a part of the church for years. And all of a sudden, they take a detour that is completely against what God's Word has said. So they out what is false. They push it away. This might not have been some random stranger, but someone that they were connected to through years of ministry, someone who was a part of their family, and they head off to falsehood. How do we handle that? How do we work through that? We must stand for the truth. The church at Ephesus did. And Jesus noted that. He commended the church for that. Hopefully, we will handle it like the Ephesians did. They did it boldly in a way that Jesus noticed. What else did Jesus commend them for? Well, he mentions that you're enduring patiently for my name's sake. Now, this little section, I notice and think about this as those attacks that came from the outside. And there had to be plenty. Think about it. This was a region, this was a city that was full of idolatry, and they were mentioning the one true God. That was who they worshipped, that's who they lifted high. I see this pressure from the outside, persecution, trials, and attacks. All are outside forces seeking to destroy the work of the kingdom. And God did a big thing. Again, remember what I said, that when Paul was there, and when Paul was speaking, there was so much interference with the worship of Artemis that the silvermiths started a riot because their livelihood was under attack. That's a huge impact on society. Now think about us. Do we believe? Is our life presented in such a way that we're impacting our society? Do we speak the truth so that others will know that Jesus is real and can make a difference? But that's what they did, and Jesus commended them for that. 
Now, the next thing that you notice here is that he mentions that they, are to, they weren't growing weary. They held on to Jesus, embraced the strength that he provides. They kept going. You know, as, as a, a pastor during these past several months, past year and a half, it's been hard. I've seen how hard this has been not only on me, but on, on Pastor Kirk as, as we have sat trying to think about things, things that they never taught you about in seminary. You're going to have to go through a pandemic. You're going to have to make a decision about how you worship that could impact people's health. That was, that was a lot. That's heavy. I know schools have had to make the same decision, that workplaces have had to make the same decisions. But as I look across this auditorium, up in the balcony, down here in the bottom, these are people, you are people I love and care about. And I want to make sure that you stay healthy, that you stay alive, and that a decision that we make isn't going to impact you in a harmful way. That is tiring. But it's not just me. It's not just Pastor Kirk. It's pastors all across our country that we're dealing with the same thing. So you be praying for them. But even in a hard situation, in a tough time, and i got to think, that the church at Ephesus, they faced some difficult things, but they didn't grow weary. As persecution of Christians ramped up, they still didn't grow weary. They kept going, and Jesus committed them for that. The other thing that they mentioned, and it's a little bit harder to, for us to comprehend and to think about, it says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now remember, this is the voice of Jesus. He is saying, I hate the works of the Nicolaitans, and you hate that. And that's a good thing. Now, it's a little vague, and as I studied, I wasn't able to find a definitive answer on who these people were other than they were idol worshipers. And it may seem strange here, Jesus stating that he hates any groups or the works of any groups, but those that oppose the Father oppose him. The Bible is very clear that God is a holy and he is a righteous God, and he cannot let sin go. And either way, he commended, Jesus commended the Ephesians for their stance against them. Now, that's a bunch of great things, isn't it? I would love to have a list half that big of things that Jesus says, hey, at Calvary, you guys are doing this great. You're doing this wonderful. And that's what Jesus did. He started this letter to the Ephesians by saying, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. Uh-oh. We're at the part that we don't want to hear because it's going to hurt as we hear from God's Word. That's what the Ephesians might have been thinking as they heard these things. I have this against you? Jesus has this against us? What have we done wrong? He said we did so many things right, but he points us out. He says very plainly, you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Now that may seem like a small thing, it's just one statement. When you compare that to the others, well, surely that balances out, but that's not how it works with Jesus, is it? You have abandoned the love that you had at first. Now, there's a question of whether this was a love for one another or if this was a love for the Lord. 
The word used for love here is one of that sacrificial love that God has for us. It represents that deep abiding love, and ultimately, it can represent either one. So as we look at this, we can apply this in both ways. First of all, loving others. First John makes it clear that we are to love one another. That's how the world we know and will know that we are followers of Jesus. It isn't just a matter of doing those religious things <coughs> that we think that we're supposed to do. It is how we love others in the body of Christ. Pastor Kirk has shared with us, and we know as a body of believers how important that the one another's are. I love that one of our life groups even call themselves the one another group. Because that's important. It is. What have we talked about? The one another's love one another, encourage one another, exhort one another, sing to one another. And the list goes on for those one another's. We can't ignore them. They are an important part of who we are. Let me, a little side note here. If you're not connected to one of our life groups, get involved, get connected. That's how we live out this idea of loving others. It's a very real and easy way for us to do that. I think about our life group, my life group, as we meet and we share prayer requests. We'll do that through text as well. We will talk to one another. We might not meet as consistently as I want right now, but guess what? The people in my life group are always on my mind. I love them. I care for them. And that's the first place that ministry begins is in your life groups. So if you're not connected one, let me encourage you to find one. They're a tangible way that we minister to one another. Now the other side of this, the other application for this, this love that we may have left behind, is this, loving God. We know from Matthew 22, 34 through 40, and other passages that loving God is at the top of our list. What is the first and greatest commandment? To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. We are a great commandment church. We are a great commission church. And that means that we love God and see his mission of making disciples as top priorities. How do we show God that we love him? We make this gathering a priority in our lives. And as they used to say, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here this morning worshiping. You have made this a priority that you're here today. Now, not just going to church anymore or anywhere, but making this meeting with this local body that you've committed to a priority. Now, we make studying His Word a priority. That's how we show love towards God. We make prayer, worship, sharing our faith, and ministering to one another important parts of our lives. Those are all pieces that show our love towards God. I could tell the world I love my wife, but if I never show her, if I never act upon that, if I never do anything about it, is she going to really know that I love her? I could say that I love you guys. But if I never do anything that interacts with that and shows that, then how will you actually know? It's the same. I could say I love God all day long, but if I don't do anything about it, you'll never know, and the world will never know. Love is much more than feelings. Back 27 years ago, um, almost 28, when Temple and I were preparing to get married, um, I read a book by Gary Smalley, 
And it shared this great concept that I've held on to all of these years. That love is not a feeling. It is a choice. It is a choice to honor that other person. I will not feel like loving my wife. I know she won't feel like loving me at times. But the simple truth is that I can always choose to honor her. Have I always done that? No. It's just, that's the truth. Do I always feel like I love God? I'll be honest. I'll be transparent. There are times that I have not felt like I love God. I will tell you, when my father passed away when he did, I, I was not happy with God. But I could still express that I loved him. I could still have a choice to honor him in those moments. You may find yourself in the same situation. You may not feel like you love God today, but you can still choose to honor him. Those feelings will come back. They will. For whatever reason, the church at Ephesus had decided to stop making the daily choice of loving God and loving others and expressing that in a real way. Now, again, it, it says that I know your works. <coughs> I've seen your toil, your patient endurance, and you cannot bear with those who are evil. They were doing the right things. They looked good from the outside. But the heart, their heart of ministry, wasn't there. So what do we do about it? What do they do about it? Well, Jesus gives some words of correction how they can fix this situation, how they can go on. In verse 5 it says, Remember therefore where, from where you have fallen. We're to look back and to see where we have failed. Not to, to live in those moments, but to understand so that we don't continue to repeat them. One of the biggest problems in church revitalization is that we'll have churches that are on the decline as we talk about that, and meaning attendance is declining, everything is going down. But the problem is they live in a good old days church. In their mind, if they just get back to that point that we were at back there, those good old days. Well, often those good old days aren't, weren't as good as we quite remember them. But the simple truth is that we still have to look back. To look back at those moments that were the good parts where we were loving God, where we were serving God, where we were following Him, those are the things that we need to look back on and emulate. Those are the things that we need to follow. Again, not to live in those moments, but to understand. Understand where we have failed and where we've succeeded. And to repeat the good things and to dismiss the poor. What else do we find in mode of uh, correction? Well, we need to repent from our ill-devised ways. The idea of repenting, well, Pastor Kirk has talked about this and I've shared this. The idea of repenting is making a 180-degree turn. <coughs> if I'm headed this way towards sin, I'm going to turn 180 degrees back towards God. I'm going to head towards Him. So if I'm going to make a change in my life, if I'm going to look towards God and say, okay, I need to repent of this, I can't sort of make a change towards God. Because if I only turn 90 degrees, then I'm still not headed towards God. I'm headed towards this weird place of maybe I'm doing good, maybe I'm not. But I want to turn completely and wholeheartedly towards God. Repent. Turn from my sin and turn to my Savior. The other point of correction is that we are to return to the works 
that you did at first. Here, Jesus exhorts the church to return to those things that they did at first. And since we don't have a specific list, we don't know for sure what Jesus is referencing, but we can assume that it was the work of love. Loving one another and loving God the Father. Now, many of us have grown up in church. Uh, We were young when we accepted Christ, and so there may not have been a huge significant change in our, our life. And so as we look back and we think, okay, well, I have, what was I doing? I was going to church, and then I was going to church again. But some of you have a different testimony. Some of you lived a life completely devoid of a relationship with God, and then you were serving God. And in those early moments of when you're first serving God, there is just a a joy that permeates your life. The same is true for those of us who have been in church and then, again, still going to church. There is a joy that permeates our life. We need to look back to those times, return to that, that ease of work that we did because we were joyful in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to hang on to that loving one another and loving God the Father. As we look at this last piece of this letter to the church at Ephesus, <coughs> we find the consequences. You know, there is a correction of how we're supposed to, or to right the ship, how we're supposed to change things. As a part of one of my assignments, I had to inter- interview a church revitalizer. Um, Drew Klein is the pastor of South City Church in Little Rock. It was formerly Temple Baptist Church of Little Rock, where Temple was a, a member when she was a teenager. And he said this great quote, and it's absolutely true, that church revitalization is like turning the Titanic. If you're changing the culture of a church, if you're changing things in a church, sometimes it takes a while to, to, to turn that. And I would say that that's often... Part of the problem with all, us in, as individuals, we're trying to change what's in our life. And it's slow going at times. We'll fall back. We won't do the right things that we need to do in those right moments. But we need to take steps towards that. Scripture here tells us to repent. And as I mentioned, that's a total change, an immediate change that we need to implement. But there are consequences as we find here, that if we don't follow through, we're going to have issues. It says, if you do not make changes, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, let me say that this is not a matter of losing your salvation. That's not what we're talking about here, or losing our relationship with God. I look at this as a much more, well, not more meaningful, because our salvation is at the top of that list, but it's a matter of losing our impact for the kingdom. If we refuse to turn to those things that we first loved, to return to that that first love, there was a chance that this church at Ephesus, a real possibility, because these were the words of Jesus, (coughs) that what they were going to find is that they would no longer have an impact for the kingdom. And I think about our church. If we don't turn to the things that we need to do, how long will we have an impact for the kingdom? That's an important thing for each of us to consider. As we look towards the future, as you look five years, ten years, twenty years down the the line, what sort of impact will Calvary Baptist Church have? I don't want us to, to fade away slowly. 
I want us to follow the King of Kings, do what He's calling us to do, and to follow Him where He's leading. You know, if we refuse to heed the warnings of King Jesus, we will no longer be of any value to the kingdom. Now, he does go on to say, if you do make changes, I will grant to you to eat of the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. And the promises of heaven can bring us great hope and great encouragement to follow even when it gets hard to do. There are times that I felt like, you know, in church over the years, we've sung a lot about heaven, talked a lot about heaven. We don't talk as much about heaven anymore. But I think more and more about heaven the further I go along in life. And the promises of heaven can bring us great hope. And that was part of the consequence, a good consequence. Now, as most of you know, as I've already mentioned this morning, that I'm reading a, a lot of a lot of books. <laughs> In fact, by the end of this week, I have to have three read, and I'm already behind. That's what it feels like. Um, my next class is, is taught by one of the authors, and I'm excited about that. He talks about these seven churches in a little book called Seven Pillars of Church Revitalization and has some underlying principles for church revitalization in each of the seven churches found in Revelation 2 and 3. And Dr. Cheney refers to a need to refocus as we look at this church. To refocus on the things that we once loved and that love and expression of love. And I think that's a great description of what we need to do with the information found here in this morning's passage. To refocus and return to that first love. New love is, is kind of awesome, isn't it? Those days when you first find yourself in love with that special someone are great. Now think about it. Some of you have had, that's a long time ago. I know with me it's long time ago. But those are wonderful days. Our love for God and His people is not a romantic love, but we should feel it just as intensely. We should love God. People should say, that person, they're kind of crazy. Yeah, we're crazy in love with a God who loves us, who cares about us. How is your heart? Do you need to return to that love that you had at first. For Calvary and its people to be all that we need to be for the kingdom, we will need to hone in on that love and make it a priority. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to step out and go, all right, I'm going to love on people. I am a little tired from all this pandemic stuff. I'm tired of the mask. I'm tired of the tape. I'm tired of this thing or that thing. I'm weary. I'm beat down. But are we willing to set aside those aggravations and to turn to the God who loves us and cares about us and to a people all around us that need love? Are you willing to do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for how you work in big and amazing ways. I thank you for your word, and I just ask that in these moments that you will help us to follow you intensely, to love on others, and to care for them. Father, you are holy, you are righteous, and you are worthy of our praise. Help us to be a church that gets to hear, well done, 
good and faithful servants. Father, forgive us where we fill you. In Christ and we pray. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.